All right, my name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and it's a joy to just be able to continue in this series we're in together called Crosstalk. We're looking at the seven sayings from Jesus on the cross. And what we're learning so far uh, is that these words that Jesus spoke on the cross have incredible, incredible meaning for us. And uh, we're going to find that the saying today on the cross, when Jesus said, I am thirsty, has incredible meaning as well. Uh, As I was heading into this message, I, I thought to myself, you know, this saying is probably the least cons- inconsequential saying out of all the sayings that, that Jesus said. I am thirsty. Uh, that, that was my first thought uh, because obviously we know Jesus was thirsty. All that Jesus went through leading up to the cross and, and uh, the time he spent on the cross, we know that he was thirsty. So I'm thinking, well, this is going to be a pretty short message. You know, G- Jesus is thirsty, yes. But as I began to study, as I began to dig in, um, I I found that this saying uh, of Jesus, I am thirsty, has incredible meaning. We're going to learn that, of course, Jesus thirsted physically. And uh, there's something that that teaches us. And there's something powerful uh, as a result of that, that we claim uh, because Jesus thirsted physically. But we also are going to learn that Jesus fulfilled Scripture by saying, I am thirsty. And that's huge too. We're going to learn today that that's, that's a big deal uh, to us as followers of Christ who, who orient our lives around God's Word. Uh, we believe that God's Word is authoritative. And so the fact that, that Jesus' words fulfilled Scripture, we're going to learn is a big deal to us. And then the third thing we're going to learn about I am thirsty, and about what Jesus said, I am thirsty. The third thing we're going to learn is that Jesus thirsted spiritually, and and that 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 has incredible significance uh, for how we live our lives as as well. Have you ever been thirsty? Uh, I'm I'm one of those guys, I'll admit it right up front here, I don't drink near enough water, okay? I'm one of those guys. Any of you with me, like, if you're honest, you just don't drink enough water. Like, I bring bring a 32-ounce water bottle with me to work every day, and at the end of the day, sometimes there's only, like, a quarter of it gone. I know it's terrible, right? Uh, Obviously, when I exercise, I need a lot of water and that sort of thing, but but I don't drink enough water. But there was one time that I was incredibly thirsty and Naomi was incredibly uh, thirsty. We, we went to the Sleeping Bear Dunes. Anybody go to the Sleeping Bear Dunes up in Michigan? Beautiful, beautiful place. Um, I didn't get the memo. I thought that it was Sleeping Bear Dune, just, you know, singular, that there wasn't an S at the end of it. And so we parked, you know, you literally park the parking lot to the Sleeping Bear Dunes. You pull up and like the dunes are right in front of you and you park your car right there. I'm like, well, how long, how long is this going to take? Like we're just going to hike to the top of that dune and back down. I don't even need to bring any water with me. This is going to be easy. And I didn't bring any water. Uh, we had flip-flops on. Both Naomi and I had flip-flops on and we hiked to the top of the dune and I was fully expecting to look out over Lake Michigan. I think that's going to be Lake Michigan. Uh, except there wasn't. It was another dune. It was a big valley, and I'm like, well, let's go. Naomi says, well, we climbed the dune. Let's go back to the car. We're not dressed for this. We don't have any water. I said, come on, we can go. And so we kept walking, and we climbed the next dune. And surely Lake Michigan is going to be on the other side of the second dune. No, it wasn't. 
And, and so we walked down that dune and up the next dune, and there we were on the third, and it kept going and going and going. And all of the nice people that were coming back from the trip, they were trying to encourage us. It's not that much further. Just keep, just keep going. You know, I'm trying to walk with flip-flops. You know how to, when, that's, that's like a fun thing when you're in sand, right? The sand like flips up and nails you in the back. Huh? Take, take the, the flip-flops off and I'm holding them and we're hiking up the dunes, down the dunes, and it's hot that day. Like it was really hot. The sand was hot. There's fewer things I like less than, than, than hot sand. And then, you know, those of you that love the beach, you put, you put you know, basically Elmer's glue all over you. And, and then, you, you know, you roll around in the sand. It's just, I don't like it. But anyway, we're hiking and it's hot. And we finally get to the end. It's 1.5 miles over. And it's a, it's a hard 1.5 miles to Lake Michigan, up and down different dunes if you've ever, if you've ever hiked it. And so we get there, and I got a big body of water. I'm thirsty. But I don't really want to drink the water in Lake Michigan. I know they call it pure Michigan. But I wasn't so sure. So I scoop water in my mouth and kind of, you know, squish it around just to, just to kind of help ease the thirst a little bit. It didn't really cut it. And uh, there was a precious older couple there trying to get a selfie. And so I offered to take a picture, and we got to talking. And... Uh, he said, you didn't bring any water. I told him we didn't bring any water. We, didn't, we weren't expecting. He goes, you didn't bring any water? And he reaches in his backpack, and he gives me a half bottle of water like this with half, half of it in. And I'm just weird with that kind of stuff. Like, I don't want to drink after my kids because I just don't want all the backwash stuff, you know. And, and, but he, he was offering, and I, I was graciously going to accept that. And I thought, well, I got a long way back. You never know. And so I kind of held on to it, and a little while later, the sun keeps beating down more, and I'm even more hot, and so I'm like, all right, I'm just going to take the lid off, and I'm going to, like, dump a little bit on my head, and dump a little bit on Naomi's head. Okay, that was good, for about three seconds. We walk a little bit further, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to take a drink, but I'm not going to swallow it, okay? I'm just going to... One of those deals, and spit it out, and that's what I, that's what I did. And uh, about 100 yards down the road, man, I was drinking the rest of it. I didn't care. I didn't care. That, that, that's about as thirsty as I've, I've ever been. And uh, our thirst, my thirst, uh, it just doesn't compare to the thirst of our Savior on the cross. Uh, Frederick Krumacher, he vividly describes this cross-induced thirst of our Lord when he says this. He says, the blood vessels of his sacred body are almost dried up. A dreadful fever rages through his frame. His tongue cleaves to his jaws. His lips burn. And he concludes by saying, there's scarcely a greater torment than that of insatiable thirst. And there, there were obvious reasons for, for Jesus' thirst. There was a even, even before he went to the cross, uh, he, was, he was dehydrated. Uh, scripture says that at, in the garden, the garden of Gethsemane, that, that he sweat drops of blood, which means that, that his blood vessels uh, had ruptured that caused blood to seep from his sweat glands. That's how much agony that Jesus was in just at the thought of what he was going to have to face 
on, on the cross. And in just a brief timeline, I don't know that these are exact, but, uh, you know, theologians say, historians say that Thursday, maybe around 8 p.m., Thursday evening, uh, he goes to the garden and he's in anguish and around 9, maybe nine, between 9 p.m. and 3 a.m., um, he's arrested. He's taken to the high priest uh, to, to before the Sanhedrin and uh, the Jewish courts. Um, 6 a.m., he stands before uh, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish courts. 7 a.m., Jesus stands trial in front of Pilate. 8 a.m., Jesus stands before Herod. Uh, 8.30 a.m., Jesus is brought back to Pilate. 9 a.m., Jesus is scourged and, and he's just beaten to a bloody pulp, and he starts his ascent to Mount Calvary. And so now we are close to 3 p.m. Jesus has been on the cross paying for your debt, paying for my debt, uh, crown of thorn thrust uh, over his, his head, and he's just an incredible pain, and that's where we're going to pick up today. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 19, John chapter 19, and uh, we're going to read verses 28 through 30 out loud together. John chapter 19, when you find that, go ahead and stand to your feet. We're going to read this out loud together. John chapter 19, and we're going to read verses 28 through 30 out loud together. Let's read these verses. It says, later, knowing that everything had now been finished, And so that scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You may have a seat. So I want you to think about this for, for a minute. The one who spoke the oceans into existence with his words, with his words, is now in need of a drink of water. The, the one who parted the Red Sea so the Israelites could cross on dry land is thirsty. The, the one who caused water to flow from a rock is so thirsty that his tongue is clinging to the roof of his mouth. As he's dying on, on the cross. The, the one who calmed the raging storm, the raging sea, you remember that in Scripture. He, he's making an unbelievable statement. I am thirsty. And Jesus chose that. He, he chose to go to the cross. He, he went on his own will to the cross. He wasn't forced to do that. He chose to do that for you and and for me. And one of the reasons, there's a lot of theological reasons why Jesus went to the cross, but one of the reasons why Jesus put himself in a situation where he was thirsty was was this. Uh, And write this down. Because Jesus faced the ultimate hardship on the cross, I can know he is walking with me through my hardships. Because Jesus faced the ultimate hardship of the cross, I can know he is walking with me through my hardships. I love Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. 
Uh, you don't have to turn there, but, but just listen to these verses. The verses say this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. That's really important. We don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And so because Jesus faced the ultimate hardship of the cross, I can know he is walking with me through my hardship. See, there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. There's a difference between sympathy and empathy. They're both really, really good. We should be both sympathetic and we should be both, we, we should be empathetic as well. But, but sympathy, sympathy is feeling for someone, okay? It's feeling for someone. But empathy is different. See, empathy is feeling with someone. And there, there's a big difference there. Jesus chose, he chose to feel with us, not just feel for us. And see, the thing with empathy is that you can try to be empathetic towards someone, but it's really hard if you haven't yourself experienced what they're going through, right? That's more like sympathy because you, you don't have any context in your own life to, to compare the, the, the feeling that, that you're feeling for someone. And so you can't empathize with someone unless you've experienced and, and you understand from experience what another person is, is feeling. And see, Christ is the epitome of true empathy. He's the epitome of true empathy. See, apart from Christ, we're, we're not only in a pit of sin, but we are powerless to get out on our own. We're powerless to get out on our own. The sin and the darkness into which we were born, all of us were born into sin, it separates us from God. And all that he would heal and, and fulfill us. And, and Jesus doesn't look down at the mess we're in and says, man, I really feel bad for you guys. I hope you figure it out. That's not the approach Jesus takes. Instead, he takes on human form he experienced every type of frailty, every type of weakness, every type of test, every type of sorrow that any human could ever encounter. And, and check this out. Jesus came into the pit with us. He didn't just look at the top of the pit and, and, and give us words of encouragement. He climbed down into the pit with us. And, and that's so incredible. That's so amazing. And not only did he empathize with us in our pain and in our weakness and in our frailty and in our sin, but he gives our pain a purpose. See, repeat this after me. There is purpose in the pit. There is purpose in the pit. In other words, Jesus placed himself in pain on purpose to give us purpose in our pain. Do you, do you, let, me, let me say that again because it seems like you guys are still a little sleeping. Jesus placed himself in pain on purpose to give us purpose in our pain. Yeah, and, and, and what is the purpose in our pain? Some of you are going through incredible difficulty right now. Some of you got the, the diagnosis from the doctor and you're walking through 
the painful journey of, of, of cancer or, or some other incredible uh, heavy um, medical issue that, you, that you're dealing with and, and you're in pain. You're experiencing pain. Some of you are in a different kind of pain. You're, you're in the pain of a, of a, of a failed marriage or, or one that's about ready to, to be a, a failed marriage if, if, if something doesn't, doesn't happen. And we ask ourselves, like, what's the purpose in the middle of the pain that we're in? Well, God redeems these painful situations when we, we come to him and when we say, I need you. That, that's so important when we say, I need you. God steps in and he gives us this, this purpose in our pain. And one of the, one of the purpose, purposes of, of the pain that we're in is so we can empathize with other people. Just like Jesus empathized with us. He's able to empathize with our weakness. We're able to empathize with other people uh, who, who are going through the same thing that, that, that you, you have gone through. And, uh, but but there's, there's, there's other reasons um, why there's other purposes in our pain. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 uh, gives us that. You, you don't have to turn there, just listen. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, it produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. So there's a purpose in our pain. There's a purpose in our pain. We become mature. We become more like Christ through the painful situations that, that we're in. 2 Corinthians 4.17 is another one that talks about the purpose in our pain. It says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. For our, it, Paul calls the pain, the struggle that we're in, light and momentary. I know it doesn't feel light and momentary when you're going through the struggles that oftentimes you have to face, but in comparison to eternity, it really is light and momentary. And so the purpose in our pain is God, God does something in us that he couldn't do any other way than through, through the process of, of pain in our lives. And, and so the, the fact that Jesus went to the cross and he faced the ultimate hardship. I can know he's walking with me through my hardships. He's, he's, he empathizes with every single struggle and hardship you find yourself in. Secondly, secondly, uh, go back to John chapter 19, verse 28, real quick. John chapter 19, verse 28 uh, and it says, later, knowing that everything had been finished, and then uh, what's it say after the comma there? And so that Scripture would be what? What's the word? Fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. So that Scripture needed to be fulfilled. That is really, really, really important to us. The fact that Jesus fulfilled Scripture. Did you know there are over... 300 prophecies throughout Scripture that in detail uh, talk about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Over 300 prophecies in Scripture that talk about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus that have been fulfilled in, in Jesus. We're just going to look at two of them, but that's astronomical. And we're going to see just how crazy that is and the odds of one man being able to, 
to fulfill 300 plus prophecies in Scripture. We're going to look at that in a little minute. Uh, but, but look at uh, Psalm chapter 22, verse 15 is, is one of these verses. It's a, it's a prophetic verse about Jesus, and it says this. It says, my mouth is dried up like a potsherd. That's, that's just a broken piece of pottery, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. That's just one prophecy that Jesus was fulfilling right here by saying, I am thirsty. Another one is in Psalm 69, verse 21. Psalm 69, verse 21, it it says this, they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. Just two of the verses that Jesus fulfilled right here on the cross by saying, I am thirsty. The other sayings on the cross, he he fulfilled other uh, scripture as well. But to give you an illustration, a visual of, of the odds of one man fulfilling over 300 prophecies in Scripture, I, I want to I help you visually see that. So I need six volunteers. Come on, right? right I'm not going to make you do anything. You're not going to be embarrassed. Come on up. Richard, come on up. Anthony, come on up. I'll start calling on you. Come on up. Real quick, six of you. Come on, count them, count them. I need six of you. We got four. I need two more. Come on. All right, right here. Come on up. Come on up. And I got, you guys need to stand in a line here. You might need to come down this way a little bit. This is, this is a lot of piece of paper here. Yep. Okay. So here, hold this up. Actually, you hold this up. You hold this up. You hold this up. You hold this up. There you go. There you go. Okay. Hold that up real high so everybody can see it. So the odds of one man fulfilling over 300 prophecies in detail. Like these are prophecies that weren't just very general in nature. These were very detailed prophecies given about Jesus. The odds that one man could fulfill that is one in this number. <laughs> this, this number right, right there. Right there, that, that, that number, that's crazy. Just to illustrate a little more, there's a guy by the name of Peter Stoner who wrote a book, um, and, and he, he wrote a book called Science Speaks. And to help us wrap our minds around this number, he said, imagine this amount of silver dollars, okay? And, and you would dump them in the whole state of Texas. It would fill the whole state of Texas two feet deep. Okay, with silver dollars, this number would, okay? Now he says, now, now I want you to visualize marking one of the silver dollars. Put a piece of tape on it, put a mark on it, and dump it in the pile of silver dollars. Get a volunteer who's very ambitious, blindfold them, spin them around, right? Like we're playing pin the tail on the donkey, and set them loose. If that one man... That one person would pick up that silver doll, that one silver doll. That's the odds of one man fulfilling all of that 300-plus prophecies in Scriptures. All right, guys, thank you. You can have a seat. Incredible, right? Now, what that means is, is that there's no coincidence in Jesus. There, there, there's no way to say, well, you know, Jesus going to the cross, fulfilling a couple of prophecies is just a sheer coincidence. There's just no, there's no way we can, we can with any 
common sense whatsoever, claim coincidence, right? Um, So there must be a divine appointment here. There must be a person. That person is Jesus. And, And Scripture was fulfilled. Now, that's a really big deal for you and I. It should be a really big deal for for you and I, and here's why. Here's what that means for you and I. Because Jesus authenticated his deity by fulfilling Scripture, because he authenticated his deity, I can trust the authority of his word in my life. I can trust the authority of God's word in my life, and that's really important. If, I, if, if over 300 prophecies written hundreds of years prior have been fulfilled with pinpoint accuracy, the prophecies yet to be fulfilled, I, I can guarantee you they are going to be fulfilled. And, and you can choose to be on the right side of the fulfillment of those prophecies, or you can choose to be on the wrong side of the fulfillment of those prophecies. So choose wisely. Choose very wisely. But not only is this important as it relates to prophecies, but think about the promises that are given to us in God's Word. Do you you think that if if God breathed life into Scripture and we have the living Word of God that's active and, and living and cuts deep into our souls, bones, joint, and marrow, that the promises that God gives us in his word are not going to come to pass? And, and so here's what, we, here's what it means for, for, for us. It, it means that if God says to jump, what is my only logical, in his word, if God says to jump, what is the only logical answer? How high? It, this, this word is completely authoritative in our lives, and we need to orient our lives around this, this book. And guess what? We are living right now in what I would say is a post-Christian culture, which means that our culture doesn't put a lot, a lot of stock in God's Word. Matter of fact, this, this book that we hold dear, that we believe is authoritative in our life. It's not just a good book filled with some good moral stuff. But more and more you read about how this book is becoming, it's considered hate speech in some circles. And it's going to be really, really difficult in the coming years uh, to, to maintain the Bible as being authoritative in our lives. I hope you realize that. It's not going to get easier. It's going to get more difficult because our culture tells us that the things that God's Word says are true are not true. Uh, and, and uh, you know, for example, when it comes to marriage, our culture says that marriage can be between a woman and a woman or a man and a man. Matter of fact, if you don't identify with a specific gender, you can pick whatever gender you identify with. That's what culture says. That's not what Scripture says. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that we are created in the image of God, that God created them male and female, that marriage is between one man, one one woman for life, 
That's what God's Word says when it comes to the value of a human life. Our culture says that, you know, half of, our, half of the, 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 the country and our culture says that, you know, you can decide if you would, would end a life, Right? And God's word doesn't, doesn't say that at all. It says that every life is to be, that we're knit together in the mother's womb. And so there's going to come a time, if it hasn't already in your life, where you're going to rub up against what culture says and you're going to have to make a decision because it's going to continue to get more difficult and difficult. But because Jesus authenticated his deity by saying, I am thirsty, fulfilling scripture, and, and you saw the number of, of the odds of that happening. That should give you confidence that when you brush up against culture trying to tell you to live a certain way, you can know that you can know that you can know that, no, that, that's not right. And you can take a stand. See, here's, here's why. Because at the end of my life, I'm not going to answer to culture for my choices. I'm going to answer to God, and I'm not going to be able to stand before God and say, but God, our culture said it was okay. See, but we don't like to submit to the authority of God's Word in our lives at times, do we? We don't like that God's Word gives us a path that that we need to follow. We We want to do things our own way. I know God's Word teaches me that that sex is to be between a man and a woman in the context of biblical marriage. But I don't like that. I want to have sex whenever I want. And in and, and that moment, when we choose things like that and a whole host of other things, what we're saying is, I don't claim the authority of Scripture in my life. And we make a decision to listen to culture instead of, instead of God's Word. And that's a really dangerous Dangerous place to be. And I think that that means that the value of demonstrating the gospel for you and I is all the more important. How we live our lives right now in a, in a soon-to-be post-Christian culture, if, if we're not already there, we're headed there really soon, that, that, that means that how we live, is, it matters. That people are, they need to see and they need to experience something different from this world so that they will listen to the gospel. What you and I do matters. And, and as we become more and more like Christ, those around us see and experience something radically different from what they see and experience in other places. So Jesus thirsted physically so that he can empathize with our hardships, with our struggles, with your struggles, with the things you're going through right now, those difficulties that you're facing right now, whether they be relational, whether they be financial, your, your, your job, whatever feeling you're feeling right now that you don't like, Jesus says, I empathize with that. I face that. And so Jesus identifies with us that way. He... he, he fulfilled scripture in such a way that gives us a confidence that we can trust his word. And then thirdly, Jesus wasn't saying that he was, he wasn't just saying he was thirsty because he was physically thirsty. He certainly was. But I believe he was trying to teach us something very profound about our spiritual thirst as well. I want you to turn to John 4. Go ahead and turn to John chapter 4. 
we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that's really powerful. This wasn't the first time that Jesus was thirsty, and it wasn't the first time that he asked for, for a drink of water. John chapter 4, um, at ver- in, uh, beginning of verse 4, uh, look, at, look at that, and I, and I want you to look at this verse. Matter of fact, I want us to read verse 4 together of John chapter 4. Let's read this out loud together. Now he had to go through Samaria. Now, I, I want to I read this again, but I want to emphasize a word differently. Listen, listen to how I emphasize this, a particular word, and, and I'm going to read it this way. Now he had to go through Samaria. That's interesting because he didn't have to go through Samaria. He, he was in Judea, which is south of Samaria, and most of the Jews... Um, they would go around Samaria whenever they had to travel north to Galilee. They would go around. They would cross over the Jordan River, take a difficult, out-of-the-way route so that they wouldn't have to step foot in Samaria because the Jews and the Samarias didn't get along. They hated each other. And, and so the fact that it says now Jesus had to go uh, through Samaria it is... It, it talks about the fact that Jesus does everything on purpose. And his purpose is that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that's exactly the mission that Jesus found himself here. Verse 5, it says, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, he sat down by the well. It was about noon. Uh, just so you know, like, people didn't go to the well at noon in the hot sun. Uh, they, they just didn't do that. So we, we know that this, this woman, um, she has some baggage um, to the point that she, she shows up at the well when nobody else is there, okay? And it's about noon. Imagine how hot uh, it is at that time of day in that part of the world. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus is trying to turn the conversation from physical water to spiritual water, water but, the, but the woman isn't getting it. She's not getting it yet. Look at verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus again answered, everyone who drinks this water, I, I can imagine Jesus kind of pointing to the well. Everyone who, who drinks this water will be, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become to them, in them, a spring of water welling up to what? What's the word? Eternal life. The, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water. She's still not understanding the, the spiritual connection here. Sir, well, give, give me this water so that I don't have to get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. 
And this is where Jesus pierces her heart with some, with some truth. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Verse 17, she says, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And then on and on, the interchange goes. Um, and the end of the, at the end of the story, Jesus points to a significant need, a spiritual need in the life of this woman. And, and she finds salvation. She tells others about this man, Jesus, who quenched her thirst. They all come back and get saved. And a whole region is is surrendered to Jesus because of, of this man's, this, this woman's faith in, in Jesus. And what Jesus was, was trying to teach is something pretty profound, and it's profound to you and I today. See, he pointed out a need in, in this woman. He, he said, uh, lady, here's the problem. You are pulling from the well of, of never enough. And, and see, there's a, there's a problem there. Uh, her particular problem was that she was trying to find her identity, her fulfillment, her satisfaction in men, uh, one after the other. Uh, and she was, you know, just over and over and over, she was dipping her bucket into the well of never enough, thinking that it was going to bring satisfaction to this thirst. See, all of us are spiritually thirsty. All of us are spiritually thirsty. And, and we try all kinds of different things to fulfill our thirst. And, and so we find ourselves back at the well of never enough and we dip it in. And, and, and maybe this time we dip up some alcohol. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my life to, to alcohol because that will fill this, this desire in, in my life. And I'm going to try to fill it with, with alcohol. Maybe, maybe that, that didn't quite do it, it, it because it's never enough, right? It's never enough. We find ourselves back at the well, dipping in it again, and okay, money's going to do it for me. Money's going to do it for me. This investment's going to do it for me. This house is going to do it for me. This car's going to do it. We find ourselves at the well of stuff, right? Or, or maybe we need to find our satisfaction in, in sex, and so we go to the well of sex, and, and, and we dip it into the well of sex, and we find ourselves just wanting more and more and more. And Jesus was trying to point to this woman and say, here's your problem. The problem is, is you're going to the wrong well. So you're going to the well of never enough and you're never going to find satisfaction. And, and he gives her the opportunity to let go of the rope of the well of never enough and, and pick up the well of the living water where she will never find will never thirst, and she'll find satisfaction, and she'll find joy in the person of Jesus. Because, see, Jesus, uh, he fulfills every void that we have in our lives. And some of you right now, you have this void in your life, and you're trying to fill it in all kinds of different ways. If I get this degree, if I get this amount in my 401k plan, if I, if I reach this, this level... And the problem is it's like a carrot that is dangling in front of you that you'll never reach because it's never enough. It only leaves you more thirsty. 
And, and so here, here's every single day, every single day, the Christian life is this. This is, this is every single day. Every single day, here's the Christian life. It's acknowledging that I've been, I've been going to the well of never enough, trying to find my fulfillment and my satisfaction. Every single day, it's, it's starting there in, in my day, at the beginning of my day. I have to do this every single day. I have to get up in the morning and I have to, I have to go through this process of, of realizing between me and, and, and the Lord and my time with Him is acknowledging that I've been dipping from the well of never enough, letting go of the rope and going over and picking up the well of the living water. That, friends, is called repentance. That's called repentance. When we, when we let go of the rope of never enough, and we pick up the rope of, of living water. That's called repentance. Now, here's what some of you are trying to do. You're trying to hold on to this rope, okay? Because you believe up here that Jesus is the living water. And so you, you grab a hold of this rope, and then you think that you can also maintain this rope as well at the same time, and so you're kind of doing one of these things. You're, you're, you're stretching out. You got the, the well of never enough and, and the well of living water, and with, when you're with the right crowd, you kind of hoist this one up a little bit more. And then when you, you, we were with a different crowd, right, you kind of lower this one, maybe put it behind your back, kind of lift up the never enough bucket. And that's, that's what some of you are trying to do in your life. That's, what, that's, that's crazy, right? When Jesus says... That if you drink from, from this well, you will never thirst again. It's, see, that whole conversation was a conversation about satisfaction. It was a conversation about satisfaction. And, and here's what I know about holding on to two ropes, because I do this. I do this all the time. I, I know that I can never truly drink from the living water until I let go of this rope and cling to this rope. And that's called repentance. That's what Jesus invites you and I to do. See, in that moment when Jesus said, I am thirsty, he was definitely physically thirsty. He was definitely fulfilling Scripture, but he was spiritually thirsty. You know why he was spiritually thirsty? Because God turned his face from him as Jesus took on your sin and my sin on the cross in my place. Everybody say, in my place. When Jesus did that, the relationship between God the Father and Jesus was, was interrupted. And Jesus felt spiritually thirsty. And he said, I am thirsty. But he conquered death. He rose from the grave to give us life, to give us the opportunity to drink from the living water. And the reality of that is, is because Jesus thirsted on the cross in my place, say in my place, my life can be completely satisfied in him. It can be completely satisfied in him. So the question I have for you today is what well are you drinking from? What well are you drinking from? And, and today's a really good day to let go of the rope of the well of never enough and cling to that well of living water. 
And hopefully, the more you walk with Jesus, some of you gave your life to Jesus last week, and we celebrate that. Isn't that awesome? It's incredible. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. Here's what I know about that. Uh, when, when you first give your life to Jesus, man, you, you, all you know is this bucket. All you know is this well. All you know is the never enough well, and, 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 and you're yet to discover, and you're beginning to discover, and you have faith to believe that, that the living water is real, and, it, and it's going to change your life, and that's the journey, the sanctification journey. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you and is changing you day by day. Now, we'll never, there's always going to be times in our life where we are tempted and we give in to the temptation of picking up the bucket of never enough. It's just the reality of living in a sinful, fallen world. But there's going to be a day, and thankfully, through Jesus, we can go back to this bucket daily through repentance, and Jesus cleanses us. But there's going to be a day when we will drink only from the living water, and that's that eternal glory, that we're talking about today. So remember, because Jesus faced the ultimate hardship, I can know he is walking with me through my hardships. Because Jesus authenticated his deity, I can trust the authority of his word in my life. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin to orient my life around what God's word says. Because I believe it and I trust it. And because Jesus thirsted on the cross in my place, my life can be completely satisfied in him. The Lamb of God in my place. Say in my place one more time. In my place. That was our death on the cross. That was, that was our sin on the cross. That was our burdens, our struggles on the cross. But the perfect Lamb of God in our place gave us life and freedom to live differently, to live our lives for him. Uh, and that's a wonderful reality and there's no greater love. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the reality that you thirsted on my behalf, that uh, you, you placed yourself in a situation so that you can empathize with me, you can empathize with us. That's incredible love. And God, thank you that you fulfilled Scripture. You did that to give us confidence that we can wrap our life, orient our life around the authority of your word. That when culture comes and tries to convince us to go a different path, we can stand firm knowing that God, over 300 prophecies were fulfilled through you, Jesus. I pray that that number, that astronomical number would, would be burned into our eyelids that we would remember that picture. God, thank you for thirsting spiritually for us so that we can find satisfaction in you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.